The Mac Observer is Mac Geek Gab, episode 607, for Sunday, May 29th, 2016. Folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cub, the show that's like car talk for Apple geeks. You send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found. The goal is for all of us to learn at least three, yep, three new things each and every time we get together. Three of those things today are going to be our sponsors including a new one, SeatGeek, at SeatGeek.com, where you can download their app and then use coupon code MGG to save 20 bucks on your first order. I am a uh, longtime SeatGeek user, so I can't wait to tell you more about that. Power Photos from Fat Cat Software, the, uh, the, the predecessor, not the predecessor, the successor to iPhoto Library Manager. And uh, at FatCatSoftware.com slash MGG, you can save 20% on that. I have a story to tell you about that shortly here. And... FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG, where you can get 30 days free of their awesome invoicing and accounting tool built just for you here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. and John here, or rather there at podcastawards.com. Yes, you folks nominated us and we are on the ballot for this year. So uh, voting started this morning, mere hours before we started recording this. So now you can go back and I would love for you to go back to podcastawards.com and vote for us. Uh, John, you will be happy to note that your uh, preferred path of vote early, vote often, I believe applies here. Everyone can vote once per day. Uh, and we've got uh, 14 days, I believe, to do uh, to do the voting. So please, please vote. And you can choose other podcasts, too. There's many, many categories. We're in the technology category. So uh, so we'd love to have your support there. Vote early, vote often, right, John? No. No, no. That, once. No. Well, once per day. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's meant to have people vote every day. That's, that's the point. So we want them to vote often. It's, it's okay. It's part of the rules. So that's good. And you can vote too, John. Vote for all your favorites. I encourage you. Hello? Can I vote for us? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, but don't vote for us now. Do the show with me now. And then, and then maybe later. Oh, of course. Yeah, you can vote for us. All right. Um, let's jump right into this. Chris has a stellar story to uh to tell us longtime listener first time writer he says i recently spilled a full cup of coffee over my newish apple keyboard this is the new one with the lightning connector and the inter internal battery i immediately switched it off turned it upside down and dried it with a kitchen roll as best i could and then let it dry completely overnight and tried it again it worked but some of the keys were sticking and the action was key dependent I persevered for a day or so and then decided it was either a new one or a good rinse. So with nothing to lose, I washed it under a running tap and scrubbed it with a nail brush, getting it thoroughly wet. I dried it and left it in front of an air conditioning unit for two days, changing its orientation periodically. I switched it on and I am now typing this message to you on it. It is worth working perfectly. Your listeners may be interested to know that there is at least a chance 
that a liquid damaged new keyboard can be brought back to life, even if it is necessary to expose it to additional water to remove the residue of the initial spill. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Chris. As we, as we like to say, you know, uh, when in doubt, apply water, right? No, that's, that's typically bad, but in this case, pretty good. It's, it's interesting seeing how, uh, many electronics companies, but Apple in particular has been sort of quietly protecting the, the internals of their devices from water damage. I mean, you know, look at the, the current crop of iPhones, right? The success, the success plus, and as I'm to find out the SE all have an additional layer of, uh, sort of water, uh, impedance if you will to keep the water uh, from advancing into the phone and uh, you can go online and find find tests and stuff youtube videos where people have put these phones in water and you know like a 5s won't last three or four minutes submerged in water but the se and the and the 6s will go an hour which is pretty interesting uh, it's pretty cool yes yeah, yeah water I'd resistance say for, for yes. a, a keyboard itself uh yeah, well, it's pretty good. The, the proof is in this testimonial. Yep. I personally, well, you know, I think I probably would have tried something like that. Well, yeah, like, I mean, like he's like, he got to the point where it was, and I love it when electronics get to the point of either I fix it or I replace it because then the world is my oyster. I don't care if I break it because it's already broken. So it's good stuff, man. Hot, soapy water. Well, actually not soapy in his case, but you know. Hot and, and watery water. Very, very watery. Make sure it's watery water, John. Not heavy water, though. No. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to do a nuclear reaction. You may need some of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. And remember, you can never apply too much water to a nuclear reaction. I don't know what that means. All right. Moving on to Jan. Jan has a, a, a tip, perhaps a little more geeky. He said, I had a small victory worth sharing. My magic mouse scroll wheel was not working anymore. The rest was fine. I was able to move the mouse and click, but I couldn't use it to scroll. Looking in the mouse preference pane, the mouse was recognized as a generic one with just two cursors set to speed and something else that I don't remember. Maybe click delay. Going to the Bluetooth menu or Bluetooth preference pane, I could not disable Bluetooth. I decided to simply kill the blue D process and rerun it. And that did the trick. The mouse was back with scroll wheel and full preference pane with the demo video and all of that from the command line. He issued two commands. Number one was sudo space, kill all space blue D. That's a, an easy way to kill a process. If you know its name, but not its process ID is that kill all command. And then uh, once that succeeded, he, and then he hit, hit enter and once that succeeded, he typed blue D, B-L-U-E-D, which is the blue demon, blue daemon, whatever people want to call it. The background process that runs and manages Bluetooth. And he just typed it again and it fired it off and then everything worked. So that a, a restart, of course, would have likely fixed this. But, uh, but it's always better if you can find the needle in the haystack without taking too long. It can be fun. So Jan, thanks for that. Fun, right, John? <sighs> Yeah, a few things about that. So you were, uh, I was going to talk about the differences between the kill commands, but you already brought that up here. But I want to mention a few other things. So one, I'm curious as to um, how Jan knew that it was Blue D. 
Now there are a few things here, so I'm gonna, and these are useful. Um, yeah, trust me on this here. Uh, trust one, you. <laughs> you can. It's not going to be an irrelevant tangent. This is definitely a relevant tangent here. But how do you know that it, it's? How do you know Blue D would do it? I mean, the, the name sure. kind of implies it. So anything that ends with D is a daemon or a background process. So you could go to Activity Monitor and look at things, and anything that ends in a D, you may be able to guess what it it is for, and killing it off. To you know, because a, a lot of daemons when they get killed off, you'll then uh, they'll start themselves up again and and fix problems uh, like in this case. But you could say you could go in the terminal and say man blue d, and it'll tell you. Um, well, that's the Bluetooth daemon. Uh, by the way, uh, the user can't directly use it. <laughs> right, but you can kill it, but you can't use it. But then I want to mention a, a utility. I don't I don't know if they've updated it in a while here, but one thing that I liked about it. Or still like about it, Dave. It's, it's a utility called App Monitor, and the nice thing about App Monitor is that when it lists processes, if you highlight it, it if there is a man page, will explain to you what it does. So, huh. two things there to help you dig in to help debug problems like this. Oh, yeah. Cool. App Monitors is something I uh, haven't mentioned for a while, but but again, it does this. A- if you highlight a- something, AT Monitor, right? AT Monitor is the name of the program. All right. I'm trying to pull up the web page here to put it in the uh, in the chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream, and I don't. Uh, their website does not seem to come up. So, oh goodness, it yeah, looks like it hasn't been updated for a while. I was but just going to say this might, yeah, this might be one of those here. one of those legacy apps that that just so happens to continue to work. Yep. Okay, but the man page will always work. You just have to go to the terminal. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. I wanted to point out with the kill all command, it, it can be really handy in a, in a way that p- perhaps you might use it more frequently or more regularly is if say you need to kill the finder, um, you can just go to the terminal and type kill all space finder and that will kill the finder. Uh, f- and, and then uh, as, as John said, some of these things and the finder usually is one of them uh, will relaunch itself. If the finder doesn't just click on the finder icon in the dock and that, will relaunch it unless there's something worse going on with your system, in which case, no, it won't. So, yeah. All right. Uh, and then moving on to actually a question from, uh, actually, John, you, you, before we move on to this question, you had a, you had a little story to share of a, a, a story of success, right? A tale of woe and a tale of success. All right. So if you recall, I was having time, machine issues yes uh, and they all of a sudden went away and that was because uh, as far as i'm concerned it was bugs that they had fixed in the latest mac os 10 update it, in in uh, in relation to encrypted time machine backups and, and uh, encrypted there disk were, images there were disk image issues so they fixed a disk image issue and a encryption issue and i think the combination of the two was causing my grief because they would yeah they, they would just not past verification but sure. then so, so i've been going for a couple of weeks now and everything's been great mm-hmm. then all of a sudden i got the same error oh. just this morning and i'm like oh man so i look in the console so backup uh, backup d is the time machine process so i looked at backup d and it said yeah i had a problem finding this file it was like an address book file or something but it had a problem and I think what happened is it abandoned the disk image and corrupted it. 
Okay. Okay. So this That's fine. is different from before. So this right. is, and, and this can happen, uh, you know, probably more likely with a wired wireless connection than a wired connection, but it just barfed and corrupted the disc image. I found this article, which is a great article, and I'll, uh, I'll paste it here. But it's basically the title of the article. And even though it's dated, kind of like the thing I mentioned before, it worked. The recommendation worked. This was actually written in uh, 27 August uh, or uh, 2011. But it's called Fixed Time Machine Sparse Bundle NAS-Based Backup Errors. And that's yeah, exactly sounds, what I had. Sounds like a profit. You, you know, I have been getting, I, I back up my iMac in the office to three different time machine back time machine destinations here in, uh, in kind of split between the office and the house. And one, uh, two of them, uh, this week went mm. belly up with that same message. So I wonder if there was something with the 10, 11, five update that made it more, uh, you know, if part of these sparse bundle fixes also, sort of highlighted maybe some underlying issues with those. Oh yeah. So the article you have is the garth.org article, which is yes, the sort of canonical uh, uh, point of uh, canonical article about fixing these things. I've used Garth's things. We've talked about this particular article on the show a few times in many years ago, but, uh, but yeah, this is, this is the one man. Yep. I've never had to use it, but, but there are three major steps. One is to change the permissions on the file, because what happens is it gets marked as read-only, so you want to fix that. Okay. The second thing is that you run fsck underscore hfs on right. the image, and I had to run it a couple of times before it fixed it. And then you also have to edit a plist file, because Time Machine also notes the fact that something terrible happened. But you can edit that out. Right. And then once I did this, um, I actually did a backup and it worked fine. It purged some old entries. And then it decided, because I think it still detected something bad happened recently, it ran the verification again and it passed it. So okay. Okay. You don't want to use disutility on a sparse bundle. That will not work. Because I tried that. And it said, oh, yep, everything's fine. <laughs> but it's not. You need to do this FSCK yeah. uh, step. That, that, that's the tool that can detect and repair the damage. So I so, just wanted to share that. I, I will tell you, you know, recently, and, and when I say recently, I mean for several years, our advice has been if you have a corruption problem with your time machine backup, accept it, let it rebuild it and move on, right? Uh, and I have tried this Garth solution before, as I, as I mentioned, and, and it, it does, it will fix it. But usually this problem is going to come back. So I'm curious if this fix is a one-time thing for you, or if within the next month you encounter this again and then again, and then again, and finally just decide to punt and, uh, and let it rebuild. My, yep. my advice is, is as always, I mean, you know, as, as, as I said, when we were talking about Jan's thing, you know, finding the needle in the haystack, that's fun. Right. But um, if you value your time, you might just wind up punting anyway and, yeah, Stop I'll keep you posted. It. Yeah, the thing is, I do. also schedule now a regular CCC backup of this machine. Yeah, I used, I used to. Well, no, well, the thing is, I used to kind of do. So the thing is, I just kind of used to do it whenever I yeah. remembered, because I don't have the backup drive connected to this machine because it's my portable. Got I do it. on my mini. Right, right. And my mini runs it uh, every you know every morning. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of cool because it has power nap. So it actually runs it kind sure. of in the background. Yeah. I tell it to. 
Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah. So I scheduled a backup, a CCC backup, and what will happen is that you know, it, it, I think I set it up so it'll prompt me. It'll be like, um, yeah, can you plug in your backup drive, please? So, cool. Hey, um, I, I've got to talk about something that I uh, that I'm very excited about. So you know, years ago we started talking about uh, Powerline, right? Because uh, we needed to find a way to get essentially ethernet type signals from one part of our homes to the other. And, uh, and lately I mentioned, you know, in the fall that I had to move, move on past power line because the, uh, uh, power line wouldn't go as fast as, as my internet speeds would, right. You know, power line for me was maxing out at about 80, maybe to a hundred megabits per second. My internet speeds downstream were about 150. So I was missing out. And, uh, so I stopped using Powerline, but, you know, as we mentioned, and, and it's like Eero does, 802.11ac, if you're using that as a backbone between two routers, you can actually get, you know, decent speeds. And I was getting even, you know, two floors away, other corner of the house, uh, you know, still getting somewhere between three and 500 megabits per second, which is much better than the 80 to 100. But it's, you know, if you're doing it with Eero, uh, which you mentioned last week, well, that seems to be pretty rock solid but if you're managing your own wireless bridge well frankly there's a reason Eero exists right because managing your own wireless bridges is, is is a little bit of a headache so i've been searching for something else uh if you want to have this ethernet type connection and john i have found it um no. yeah mocha right so you, you have to have coax cables in both places now i will preface this conversation by saying that I have some of the oldest and worst coax cables strung throughout my house. Uh, th these are not pro like most of these were not done by professionals. Uh, they were done either mostly actually by the previous homeowner. So there's kind of stuff that's everywhere. Um, and some of the, even some of the connectors are, you know, it's either connectors that I've made with a crimping tool or, you know, not pro connectors. So Mocha does what Powerline does, except instead of it sending an Ethernet type signal across the um, the you know the, your AC jacks, it sends it across your coax, and I I am astounded with how reliable this is over even my crummy connections. So there's three levels of Mocha really that are available. There's the Mocha One Dot X, which I'll I'll uh, we'll call, and that that can go pretty fast. That can get you real world speeds of up to about 200 megabits per second. And that's what I was getting when I was doing that between my two TiVo units, because most TiVo units support Mocha. Then there's Mocha 2.0, which goes quite a bit faster than that. Typically about double, maybe even faster than that. Um, and so Mocha 2.0 can go close to 500, maybe even faster. I was getting between, I, so my TiVo, uh, my TiVo mini is a Mocha 1.1 unit my TiVo bolt is a Mocha two unit. And I know that when the TiVo bolt is connected to another Mocha two unit, it gets, like I said, close to 500 megabits per second. So this is a good speed, right? Action tech though, has created what they call a bonded Mocha two uh, adapter. And so this uses the Mocha two protocol, but on more than one channel, as far as I understand it, it's similar to what we get between our, on our cable modems when we move from DOCSIS 2 to DOCSIS 3. You're just using more channels simultaneously in a bonded way. And uh, I plugged in 
two of these adapters, John, you can get them for 150 bucks for a pair of these things, right? So they're, they're not cost prohibitive if you're, you know, especially if you're comparing it to running drops in your walls with ethernet cable, you won't get an electrician to even look at your house for 150 bucks, let alone, you know, do anything. And, uh, on my first test, you know, these things, and again, the worst two connections, this is without me even going and putting the right splitters in the right places. I was getting over 800 megabits a second between, um, between these adapters. So that's, I mean, some of you might get speeds over a gigabit if, uh, if you've got better cabling than I do. So it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. And I'll, I'll put a link to, to these two adapters or this pair of adapters in, uh, in the show notes, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about it as you can tell, because it, it's just another option for us all. So. Yeah. I'm curious what you have running in your house. I mean, I'm looking at a few pieces I got kicking around the office here and I got one that is listed as CATV 18 AWG. And it looks like a pretty decent. No, I've got pretty, cable. I've got pretty thin cables. It does. It doesn't matter. It, you know, it, it is what I've found with the Mocha stuff is that, you know, as long as you've got cables that would send a TV signal, that pretty much is right, all it right. needs, which is, which is cool. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm just blown away and I feel kind of silly for not having opened the doors to Mocha in the past. So, all right. Yeah. So you're, so you think if you had better, if you reran the cable, which you're probably not going to want to do. If I was going to rerun cable, I would then also run ethernet along with it. And I could, right. I mean, that's oh, yeah. the, that's the thing is because I have coax drops to these places, I've thought about it and I thought, well, if I really wanted to do this right, I could just, you know, pull that coax through the wall a little bit, tie, uh, an, another piece of coax and some ethernet to it and make, you know, you, when you do that, you, you know, and you know, it's going to go through walls, you tape it up like crazy, but you also kind of make a, um, you, you make sort of a point on it so that it, it, it can slip through, uh, connections or slip through wall joints and things like that. And I would just pull ethernet, um, up through the wall. And I thought about that actually, but, uh, but I wanted to test this too. And was like, well, if this works, then what do I need that for? <laughs> Like right. I'm not going to get if, that much better. I'll get maybe another hundred megabits. So, and I think these days, if you're going to run Ethernet cable, that I think all the cool kids are using what, what is referred to as Cat Six, which I Correct. believe can handle is guaranteed to handle uh, gigabit Ethernet and maybe even more. No, Cat Cat Five will do gigabit, or I believe, five. and Six will do ten gigabit. Right? I, I think that's right. But, but yes. yeah, if you're going to run, if you're going to run cable, absolutely run cat six. Yeah. 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 You don't, <laughs> this is not, well, as I said, you know, if you've got cable there already, it makes it a little easier. Um, that makes, it can make it a lot easier. Uh, it's even easier if you also, along with your cable, run a piece of string, uh, because that gives you something else there in the wall. But, um, you know, it's possible. So, or you could use the string to connect to cans. Yes, that's and right. That. <laughs> yeah, that works even in power outages, John. No power required. <laughs> no power required. All right. So uh, speaking of Eero, Matt has a question. And uh, actually, we got a ton of questions about Eero. It's probably the biggest response to a sponsor I've ever heard, um, But uh, which is great. I mean, it's a, it was a good fit, you know, or is a good fit, I should say. Uh, Matt writes, he says, uh, I was excited to hear about your new uh Wi-Fi spot about Eero, he says, I've heard good things about them, but one thing to be aware of is that from what I've heard, uh, 
about them or maybe similar products is that because of the way they use their mesh network and authenticate, if you lose your internet connectivity, you can't actually use your Wi-Fi within your local network. Uh, is this true? Can you test this? And it seemed suspect to me, and I'm glad Matt asked the question. So I did test it. Uh, I simply went over and unplugged the Eero from the internet and then restarted both my computer and my phone, and they instantly connected to the Eero network and got an IP address from Eero and everything worked just fine. So having an internet connection does not, uh, is not mandatory for using your local network when, when you've got Eero set up, what it is necessary for is making changes to your Eero configuration because that does sort of go through the cloud. But, um, but it, you, you don't need it to set it up. It actually sets up. It's pretty cool, John, the way it sets up. It sets up with Bluetooth. And um, you just get your phone close to the, the device, and it, it finds it and then configures it and adds it to your, to your Eero mesh. So, um, and then they talk to each other with Wi-Fi, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. And Dave, you know, speaking of wireless, yeah. I thought I'd uh, let some people know here if, uh, if they haven't. But if you are still using, well, I am. Using an airport, though yeah. I'm not using it as my primary. Of course, I'm using the, or as you know, I'm using the TP sure. link. But I still do have an airport express downstairs that I use for airplay. And I noticed the other day I was walking by and I see the yellow light flashing, mm. which with a lot of Apple uh, wireless devices, that means something bad happened. In this case, it wasn't that something bad happened. What it was saying once I ran the airport utility is, hey guys, there's a firmware update and i just want to mention this to people because the firmware update uh seems to address some issues that we have had reported to us in the past one of the issues is so it's update 7.7.7 and uh or, or it, yeah i think it's 777 well yeah. I, I found the page here but it addresses uh, some issues so one dave is uh communication between clients on the same network because I know we've had people say, you know, I got two things on an Apple wireless thing and they just don't talk to each other. So it addresses that, some guest network stuff, which I don't care about because I don't use that. But then also Bonjour Sleep Proxy yeah. um, issues. And we've also had people report issues where, and this usually manifests itself in that you start getting devices with names, blah, 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 one, blah, 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 two, blah, 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 three. So um, update your firmware on your Apple uh airport and you may be happy or yeah yeah i was surprised to see a firmware update for devices that old but um but you know it works yeah it's crazy it's good though um along those lines it's probably worth mentioning that some reports came out this weekend talking about how apple pulled all of the uh airport routers time capsules whatever uh from their store shelves just the other day and you know, with WWDC right around the corner, there is some uh, specu understandable speculation that, oh, it means new airports, which it could. But this week is also the week that June 2nd is upon us. And June 2nd is that deadline after which companies cannot sell routers that don't adhere to all of the new FCC regulations. And it probably will require a software update. But if the devices on Apple's shelves did not have that update in them, they could not sell them after June 2nd. So it's again, it's also possible that this is just so that they can get them in house 
and then make sure the software is updatable. From what I understand, you can still order them on the online store, and which makes sense because Apple has those at least somewhere under their control and they can make sure that they're shipping them um, the right way. So ah, who knows what's coming at WWDC, but, uh, but I just kind of wanted to put some perspective on that. So, right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, while we're here, we just mentioned one of last week's sponsors and I might as well point out that, Coupon code MGG with Eero, even though they're not technically a sponsor of this episode, it still gets you free overnight shipping. So if you're interested in that, certainly uh, take advantage of that. That's why we have it for you. But I want to talk about this week's sponsors, if that's okay with you, John. Okay. All right. Our first sponsor today is Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. I'm going to tell you right up front, visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG and then use coupon code MGG to get 20% off both Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager. You buy a bundled license, it's 29 bucks, and so you save six bucks uh, off of that. And it's a great deal on a killer piece of software. In fact, I was just using it this week. I finally upgraded my wife's machine from uh, Yosemite to El Capitan. And even though she was already on photos, photos wanted to update again. Of course, I store her photos library on a network drive. We're not going to discuss the relative merits of doing that, but certainly in this case, having it on a network drive was bad because it would not upgrade the library. So I had to copy the library back over. It wouldn't let me. This was a problem. There was some kind of permission issue. So the first thing I did was I launched Power Photos on her machine pointed it at that library and I could see all my pictures. This was a good sign. I was able to get in there and I could even pull pictures out if I wanted to. This saved me from having to uh, do all kinds of other crazy things. I was able to get the library moved over to a local drive connected to her machine, of course. And then from there, photos did the upgrade for me. But having power photos really gave me the ability to do lots of things more than that gave me the peace of mind of being able to see my library and say, okay, or her library, which is really our family library and say, okay, everything's good. I'm still storing the thing locally on her on a drive attached to her machine. And I may not stop doing that because uh, I think, I think it's, it's easier to manage this stuff when it's local. You need to have power photos to do that. You need it to eliminate duplicates. You need it if you want to merge libraries together or copy photos back and forth between libraries, or if you want to split up a library into pieces. All these things that photos just doesn't do. You need power photos for this. The price is right. You got a good deal. Again, fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software for sponsoring this episode. You ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? I buy tickets all the time and uh, I'm a pro at this. I'm as much of a pro as any consumer ticket buyer could be. And I'll tell you what, there is an app called SeatGeek that has saved me many times in the past. And I am so happy to have them on board as a sponsor. Again, this is an app. You can run it on your iPhone. You can run it on your Android phone and coupon code MGG saves you 20 bucks after you make your first ticket purchase. So you want to go download the, the free SeatGeek app. And then what it does is it pulls all the available ticket deals from all the other sites into one place. So not only can you see them all at once, you can set 
alerts so that you know when more tickets come available. It's it becomes your friend, frankly. And when I'm looking for tickets to an event that I didn't buy when it went right on sale, SeatGeek is the app that I use because it pulls it all into one place. I don't have to check everybody else. Here's the thing. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. So this is an app that I could not live without as a crazy concert goer. Of course, you can use it for sports tickets or theater tickets, whatever you want. But I use it for concerts because that's where I spend all my extra money. 20 bucks you get by using promo code MGG. You download the app. And we've got a link in the show notes, but it's called SeatGeek. And then you go to the settings tab and you click add a promo code MGG. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Our sincere thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring this episode so happy to have them on board. I'll be honest, running a business is a lot of fun, but there's also parts of it that aren't that much fun. And FreshBooks aims to take one of those things that most people don't find fun and make it easy. I actually like accounting, but that means that I've had the opportunity to check out a lot of different things. FreshBooks is outstanding at what they do. They're really focused. You could use it for any size business. I'll say that. But they're really focused on the small business, especially what they like to call, and now I like to call, the solopreneur. You got into business to do something, but part of that is you've got to bill people for your time. You've got to track your time. You've got to track your expenses. FreshBooks makes all of this really, really easy. Invoicing. There's no easier way to create an invoice. FreshBooks makes it happen for you in like 30 seconds, and then it tracks that invoice. So if somebody's not paying, you can actually have FreshBooks send them an email. FreshBooks will let you take credit cards right in the system there. So it makes it easier for your customers to pay. Guess what? That's a good thing. I know you know this. This is how it works. So you got to check out FreshBooks. It'll let you track your expenses. It's so easy to forget to track those things. FreshBooks, they have an app. You can just log this stuff right there. And then you have to, I don't, I don't want to say you don't have to think about it, but you don't have to remember it. FreshBooks will remind you when you go in and look at your expenses, there it is. And then you can remember, oh, right, I got to track that to, you know, uh, you know, company A's invoice and all of this stuff. It's awesome. You got to check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash MGG and then enter MacGeekab in the how did you hear about us section and you get 30 days for free. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash MGG. Answer Mac Geekab when they ask you how you heard about them. Uh, they know we sent you, and you get 30 days for free. Our thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. Hey, John and Dave. This is Matt, and uh, listening to the latest episode and uh, your discussion around Adam and his, uh, his mysterious phone calls. And, you know, this whole conversation got me to thinking about something, and I don't know if this is a sign that I've been listening to Dave a little bit too long, and uh, maybe uh, some of the conspiracy theory stuff is starting to take hold, but... You know, why is it that uh, cell phones in pockets never manage to do anything but call other people embarrassingly? Uh, you know, there's a theory that says that if you put enough monkeys uh, in a room for a long enough time, their random banging away at the keyboards will uh, produce the collected works of Shakespeare or whatever the case may be. So why is it that cell phones in pockets never 
managed to hack into my bank account and add uh, millions of dollars or uh, produce the works of Shakespeare, do anything else useful. They only uh, manage to embarrass you by calling someone and letting them eavesdrop on uh, whatever uh, thing you might be doing at the time. <laughs> you know, it's got to be a conspiracy of some sort. I just haven't been able to figure out by whom and to what end. So I don't know. Uh, maybe we should all be very careful to avoid getting caught. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm with you. The pocket dial conspiracy, Matthew. That's um, it, it's real. Our, our troubles are real for sure. You know, John, I, I emotionally support all conspiracy theories, uh, regardless of whether or not I intellectually support them. Emo- my emotional support is solid. And including with this one, I cheer it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chemtrails. Chemtrails. Yes. What about those? That's so the chemtrails, uh, <laughs> the, the, they're using the pocket dials on the iPhone to, to target the chemtrails, I think. Right, John? Exactly. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, why don't we move to Terry, John, and, and start answering some questions here? Let's answer a question. So Terry has a simple question. Cool. But the answer isn't. Well, no, I think it's a simple answer. Multiple answers. One question, I'm going to give you more than one answer. So We would expect nothing less. And they're probably going to be mostly correct. So, uh, hi, Dave and John. Do you know of any way to change the default location of my web receipts folder so it uses iCloud instead of my local disk? Now, we need to explain what the heck is this question asking because standing on its own, people may not know what the heck uh, is going on here. Yeah. The thing is, there is something called the web receipts folder. Actually, I didn't know this because I don't really use it. Now, how do you get to it? And, and what is it for? I'm going to tell you what it's for. So if you go in pretty much any application and you go to file and print, you're going to get a print menu. And normally you're going to get a list of printers. But then in the lower left-hand corner, you're going to see a little thing saying PDF. PDF is portable document format, which is a nice, pretty standard way uh, to represent documents. Uh, I think it's safe to say most folks know what a PDF is. I just thought I'd help out. Yeah. So. So anyways, PDF is, it, and it's good to save. So rather than printing to a printer, you can actually save the content to a PDF file and then look at it later, like open it with preview or whatever. A, a whole bunch of programs can deal with PDFs. But then in this menu, if you click on it, it's going to have an option saying save PDF to web receipts folder. And I'd never used this or seen this before. Or I may have seen it, but I never used it. What does it do? It actually saves the PDF in a folder which it will create if it's not there in your documents folder called web receipts. So there's the background. Now the question is, um, what if you don't want to save it there? What if you want to save it somewhere else? And the question here, so so this answer I think is close, Dave. So uh, the question is, how do I save it to iCloud? Now I think one answer here now I'm going to give one answer, and one answer would be, so when you bring up this print menu, you're going to say print, and instead of saying save to web receipts, why don't you say save as PDF? And that's one of the choices, dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot means, oh, well, you know, I'm going to give you uh, some, you know, uh, a chance to give me some more options here. And what I would do, Dave, 
is when you get this, you're going to see a file dialog, and in the left-hand corner is going to be what you also see in your finder, and one of them is iCloud Drive. So you could choose that. Now, the thing is, you may not see iCloud Drive in, in, the, in the, the sidebar. How do you see that? The thing is, you may choose not to see it. Now, to reveal it, you go to the Finder. and Let's see. I think it's Finder View Options. They always put it in a wacky place here. Nope, not View Options. I'm sorry. Finder That's in Finder Preferences. preferences. Yep. And then there's going to be a sidebar category, and one of the things you can list in the favorites area is iCloud Drive, assuming that you use iCloud Drive. So to me, that would be a quick answer, but you may want to get a bit more sophisticated. Well, yeah, I think you might want to build a, a workflow so that it automatically saves to your preferred folder. I mean, that's what we do with our with our Evernote stuff, right? We, we answer, like, Terry's question via email, and then send it. You can, in that... Um, in that menu, you can add things to that menu and you can add um, automator workflows and or Apple scripts, whatever you want. And it'll, exactly. take, it'll take the PDF in and do whatever you want with it. You want to tell them where your uh, where that folder is, John? Well, the, so there, the thing is, there is uh, some additional guidance. So one is that there is a article on the Apple developer site called Creating PDF Workflow Options. And it gives you a number of different things that you can do here. Now, Apple does provide... Now, this made me sad because if you look in your library slash library slash PDF services folder, you are going... You should see, it's bundled with OS X, something called Safe PDF to Web Receipts folder.pdf workflow. The thing is, I couldn't figure how to create that or even edit it in Xcode or look at the contents of it. I thought, oh, well, I'll open that up and just you know change where it sends stuff, but... It seems they provide it, but they don't provide a way or guidance how to build it. But as Dave said, there are ways to, in that folder, put a workflow. So one is you could use Automator. Another thing you could do, as my esteemed colleague pointed out, is that he actually built one. And so I pointed to this article, and this is dandy article called Use Apple Script to Create a Custom Evernote PDF Menu Action, written by this Dave Hamilton fellow. <laughs> So you can use that as guidance as well to create uh, a workflow that'll be a bit more specific uh, as to where you would like to store this if what I mentioned, iCloud Drive, isn't quite what you want. Though I think it may be. Yeah. It's, um, it's fairly simple to create these, these actions or these Apple scripts to do it. Um, and, and there's a... It, reading the article that I did should help kind of show you the path but you can do them you can do them in automator too and then you just save them john pointed to the uh library pdf services folder uh that certainly will populate the uh the menu in the print dialog but also home library pdf services which is probably the place you want to put this stuff unless you want this available to all the users on your computer which you might so uh you build your your little either uh, workflow or Apple script. And then you put it there. And as long as it is built to accept uh, a PDF, then you can tell it to do whatever you want with it. And it, it's, it's very, very straightforward um, to do this stuff. And, and you can really, I, I mean, it's, it's probably the um, easiest way or certainly the quickest way to sort of experience customizing your Mac in a, in sort of a deeper way. 
um, you know, by, by doing that, because there are those things you're constantly, you know, it, well, many of us are constantly, you know, gathering data. Uh, and if you can gather it in the form of a PDF and put it where you want, it's great. Uh, the other way to do this would be if you don't want to, you know, get, uh, mess around with programming and it, it, this, again, this is very light programming, but it is programming. Uh, if you don't want to mess around with that, then I would recommend using Hazel and have Hazel watch your web receipts folder and take anything that, um, that it sees put in there and move it to one of your uh, iCloud drive folders. And then that, that would just deal with it. And it would be frankly quite a bit easier to do that and, and much faster to set that up. But um, so, you know, and, and would accomplish the same result. You just tell it, you know, you'd use the, the built-in save to web receipts workflow and it would save it there. And then Hazel would say, Hey, I see something was saved here and it would move it um, over to wherever you want. And Hazel's really, really straightforward to use it. I, it's like, it's one of those apps that um, it, it kind of sits there and I forget that I have it right up until I, you know, either set up a new machine or, you know, something happens and it's not running anymore. And it's like, wait, how come all my stuff's not going where I expect it to go? It's nice to have it manage your downloads folder. It clean, you can have it clean out your old downloads and or failed downloads and all that stuff. It's really a handy piece of software. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that even if you're not going to use it for this purpose. There you go. That's my, that's my story on that, John. And you're sticking to it. I will. Yeah. Hazel's something I will stick to. All right. Moving on to, uh, to Joan here. Joan asks a question, not for the first time on this show, but it is good to, to revisit this stuff. Um, she said, I'm writing to ask a question, uh, that I, uh, oh, wait, where, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She said, uh, she found my article about how to, uh, safely disable iCloud photo library. And, uh, and she, she asked if, if in fact, any of these steps have changed and the answer, and I wrote, cause I wrote this article, what a year ago, I think John, it was last May that I wrote this, uh, oh, last June, but, uh, she was asking, you know, she has iCloud photo library on, she, needs the space actually her problem is she needs the space on her phone um, because it's filling up her 16 gig iphone even though it's only storing thumbnails locally those thumbnails do take up space and so she wanted to make sure she could disable icloud photo library on her phone without deleting any content and uh and she wanted to disable icloud photo library altogether and and yeah it's a it's a bit of a pedantic process and we'll put a link in the show notes to the, uh, to the article that I wrote about it, but it's, it's really straightforward. You know, you, um, it, it, for the most part, you just uncheck iCloud photo library, uh, on your, on your devices, you know, and then, um, you need to go to each of your phones and import all those photos into your Mac that it doesn't have. In theory, if iCloud Photo Library was was working properly, you would already have them because it would have uploaded them to iCloud Photo Library and then you would have downloaded them. But because you just turned all this off, if anything quite didn't quite, you know, make it, you want to go ahead and and get each of those. So you just do just do the import. It's no big deal. Uh, disable iCloud Photo Library on your devices. And, uh, and then in theory, your Mac's photo library will have everything that was on it and on the devices, but it's not a guarantee that you have everything that was in your iCloud photo library because 
your iCloud photo library, as Joan found, will store things uh, in the cloud and won't necessarily have everything on your devices. It might just have thumbnails. So you can actually, even even once you uh, have disabled iCloud photo library, even if you have um, canceled it, it will still keep your photos online for 30 days. So you can go and download all of your photos from iCloud photo library and then import those into your uh, into photos on the Mac and it'll, it'll handle duplicates. Um, obviously, uh, I, you know, you know me, I'm going to recommend power photos to, to handle the duplicates because, because that's what I trust to do this stuff. Um, but, uh, but you know, that, that's the step. So there you go. But it's, it's pretty straightforward. You, you don't use iCloud photo library, right, John? I did. And the one thing I can say, Dave, so the thing is it, it, I think it was when I did a major iOS upgrade. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, it turned on iCloud Photo Library. The only reason I realized this was at some point I got warnings. It was like, uh, yeah, by the way, um, you're kind of running out of space um, on your iCloud drive. Yeah, sure. uh, And I'm like, well, how could that be? And then I thought back and it's like, oh, well, you know what? I just made some videos on my phone. And apparently it was like, oh, well, I better upload those videos up to the, you know, your storage there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that set off the, uh, you know, the, the, it warned me that I was running out of space. So then I turned it off. And the one thing I can tell you is that if you log in pretty much to iCloud for most devices, it was very it made sure to warn me no matter where I was. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, in 30 days, you're going to lose a lot of stuff. Right, right. That's true. It's it's very persistent in warning you that you will lose things. There's there's really no way to avoid it that I could find. It was actually kind of annoying after a while. I'm like, okay, I get that things are going to disappear after 30 days. Can you not keep telling me? The defense stipulates that the photos will be deleted. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's good. It, 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 you know, it works that part of iCloud photo library works well. Frankly, um, photo stream is kind of a mess. I still can't get all of my Macs to see all of the photos on my photo stream. And you folks may not realize this, uh, because I've seen it happening on many people's Macs. If you go into your iPhone or your iPad, or it's certainly if I go into my iPhone or iPad and I go to my photo stream, I, or I go into albums, I can see that there's a thousand pictures in my photo stream. On some of my Macs, there will be 350. On another Mac, it might be 808. They don't all show the same number. Um, so I, uh, and I open photos on my, you know, on my main Mac all the time. So I don't know why it wouldn't show me the same number, a thousand pictures, which is the maximum in photo stream. And sometimes if you turn off photo stream, you know, and you go in on your Mac, you go into photos, you go to preferences, iCloud, and uh, in there you can turn photo stream off and then turn it back on. Sometimes that'll trigger it to download more, but it doesn't always get them all. It's kind of a mess. But um, so that's why, you know, that that import, whenever I plug my phone into my Mac, I always open photos and say, import any photos on this you know device that aren't in my library and it will there are always photos that it's pulling in so photo stream is not the end all be all but from what i have seen icloud photo library is if you're willing to pay for the storage both 
on iCloud and on your device, at least for the thumbnails. If you have a phone, if you have a phone larger than 16 gigs, you're probably going to be fine in terms of that, but it is worth knowing. But, uh, but if you're willing to pay for the storage on iCloud, uh, everyone that I know that's been using iCloud photo library has been very, very happy with it. Photo stream is not a, uh, a good in photo streams reliability or lack thereof is not a good indicator of the same with iCloud photo library from what I've, from what I've seen, everybody finds iCloud Photo Library very, very reliable. So The only thing I'll mention, and I found to be mostly true, yeah. and Apple buries this fact, and I verified it on and off. Um, they bury this fact, but the thing is, PhotoStream is, if you take a picture on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, is conditional on a, on a couple of things. And I'll just read the relevant line here, and then we'll link to the article that talks about PhotoStream as well. But they say, photos that you take on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch will automatically upload to MyPhotoStream when you leave the camera app and connect to Wi-Fi. That makes sense. So it's not uploading them. So you can you can triage photos in the moment. If you take a photo and you're like, oh, that was crap, you delete it, it's not going to bother to upload that to PhotoStream. That makes sense. Right, because I... Uh, I've seen this happen. I'm like, sure. well, why aren't my photos uploading? And it's like, oh, I'm either not on Wi-Fi or the camera app is still open. I, right. And I think this is still true. Uh, I, I haven't verified it recently, but the last time I was scratching my head over why the photos didn't make it, it was because I wasn't doing these things. So, <laughs> Yeah. It, there's more reasons why photos don't make it, and they are not in this FAQ. They are simply, it's, it's just buggy. Um, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Or yeah. iCloud. The explanation is iCloud. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird to me. I mean, you know, I have I have expressed my issues with Apple's with some of Apple's cloud services. Many of them actually work fine. You know, we don't complain about CalDAV or CardDAV here uh, very often, either from our own experiences or from yours, because that stuff just works. It's extremely reliable. iCloud Drive similarly works really, really well. Um, syncing of you know, third-party data syncing of, uh, especially, you know, photo stream, not so much, you know, there's, there, there are issues with Apple's cloud, but, um, it seems weird to me that photo stream would have inconsistencies that iCloud photo library does not. I, I would expect the two to be, you know, to share a similar engine, right? I mean, it seems to me, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. All right, moving along. Michael, that's a good question. Um, it, it's, a, it's a basic question, but that's okay. Uh, we, we don't have to be overly geeky all the time. He says, uh, I finally broke down and bought an Apple Watch on eBay for 200 bucks. Setting it up was easy. Uh, the person I bought it from, uh, except they hadn't removed their account. Once that was resolved, uh, everything's been fine. He says, I've only played with it for a few days, but I find that the screen with all the tiny icons is pretty useless. Is there a way to limit the number of icons that show up there? Is there a good how-to tutorial for the watch? Lastly, do you guys have favorite apps you have found over time to be useful? How do I change what shows up on the face and which face shows up when I turn the watch on? And he apologizes for asking simple questions, but it, it's good to go through this stuff because if you have them, somebody else has them too, Michael. Um, so I'll go through a couple of these and and hopefully the answers will sort of open some doors and and find you in places where you'll have the options, but it is managing the watch is an interesting paradigm because you, you do some of it on the watch and you do some of it on your phone. So as can, as for controlling the, the layout, 
and the number of apps. Um, you can do some of this right on the watch if you like by tapping and holding on one of the apps. So you you know you'll hit the uh, digital crown. That'll get you to this from the from the watch face to the screen with all the apps, the app layout. Uh, tap and hold on one of the apps and you'll get into what I call jiggly jiggly mode, which just like the iPhone where the apps, you know, kind of wiggle around and there's little X's and you can delete them uh, from there. But it's amazingly intensely frustrating to try and do this on the watch in my experience. So I do it on the phone in the Apple watch app. Um, so you go into the Apple watch app and you go to app layout and, uh, and then you can see all your apps and you can do kind of the same thing here. You can move them around, but you cannot remove them from this section. You can remove them by going down. And as you scroll down in the Apple watch app on your phone, you'll see a listing for every app that can be installed on your watch. And if you go into one of those, you'll see uh, show app on Apple watch and you can turn that slider on or off. I think that's pretty obvious. And if the app has the ability to be shown in what's called glances, which are the things where you can swipe up from the bottom, uh, it will have an option for that there too. Um, one piece of advice, if you are getting frustrated with stuff, just being barfed out onto your watch, uh, you might want to go again on your iPhone into the Apple watch app, go into general and disable automatic app install what happens is if you download an app to your iphone that includes an apple watch counterpart that counterpart will automatically be installed on your watch if this option is on if automatic app install is enabled really though that's the only way you'll know that an apple watch app exists unless you start digging so if you're going to turn this off just be aware that you might be missing out on, on some things if you don't regularly kind of go into the Apple Watch app on your phone and scroll through and say, oh, hey, I haven't seen that before. I might want that on my watch. Um, as for watch faces, uh, that you do on the watch itself with your watch showing the time, uh, force tap on the, or force push, whatever we call that nowadays, on the, on the watch face, and it'll pop up uh, a little configuration uh, utility, if you will, where it'll say customize at the bottom. You can scroll around actually at that point, scroll left to right to find all different manner of watch faces. And then you can hit the customize button at the bottom to add different complications to them. So you can set up all sorts of different watch faces that you might use for different purposes and then scroll around between them. Uh, when you've got things where you want, uh, lightly tap it and that'll kind of activate it and bring it back to the surface. So hopefully that helps. Happy to answer simple questions here. It's uh, it's always good to kind of get the foundations down. So thank you for asking that, Michael. I have a simple question. Yeah, what's that? Can you do any watch management at all from iTunes? No. Okay. No, 100% is from your iPhone. Okay, because I remember, uh, yeah, because if you want to rearrange icons on your iphone you can use itunes to do that i i wasn't sure if it extended to the watch but the answer is no no okay. no <laughs> yeah no 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 there's no yeah there's no watch management from your mac at all in fact um that's interesting i mean it may it kind of makes sense it's a you know it's a mobile device but yeah yeah you've got and you have to have an iphone to use the watch for for these and other reasons right you have to have the that right kind of iPhone. explains it yeah i just thought it was a nice feature again when they allowed you to manage the arrangement of things uh on your yes. ios device except for the watch yep. <laughs> using itunes yeah okay yep 
Yeah, I've you know, but managing I, I like that idea in theory. I have never enjoyed managing my app layout. Uh, well, I frankly, I haven't ever enjoyed managing the app layout of the apps on my iPhone ever with any interface. Um, but doing it in iTunes, it's just so slow. I mean, you drag things around and it waits forever. And then sometimes they bounce back. I don't know. It feels like it, it's a process that's just, you know, fraught with frustration. I, um, Ooh. yeah, I always just do it. On I the, find it on frustrating on the phone itself. Cause typically the thing that I want to move somewhere else pushes something yeah. I don't want to be pushed out of the way, out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> At least if you do it on the phone, it will stick. Whereas I found, I, I mean, I've spent hours, maybe not hours, but, but dozens of minutes managing, you know, a layout, uh, for my phone from iTunes and you, you know, you hit apply and then suddenly half the stuff that you removed, it puts back. Cause it's like, no, I, I found this on your phone. It's like, yeah, but that, that the that was the point. Take it off the phone. So it, it, it feels like there's, there's always something missing there. I don't know. That's, it's not a great, um, it's not a great thing. Alex in the chat room is saying that uh, he finds iTunes very responsive when managing uh, his phone that way. So maybe it's just me. Maybe I just have too many apps, which is entirely Could possible. Be. Yeah. All right. Um, Chuck's got a good one. I love, I love questions like this. So Chuck says, uh, I've used migration assistant from a time machine backup to import data and settings from my wife's old MacBook air to a new machine. Everything worked pretty consistently settings for email network, prep, Safari bookmarks, and her documents all moved. But two things did not move as expected, her Apple calendar data and her contacts data. I had to export the calendar data as a separate step from the old machine. Uh, and the program says the data was successfully imported, but it still doesn't show. That then was finally resolved by restarting the calendar app and all of the data appeared. Then things got even weirder with the contacts app. I tried exporting her contacts over 800 of them as a contacts data archive. Nothing showed in the new machine's contacts app once I imported it. The vCard method allowed all of those contacts, but the groups aren't included. I can export all the groups one at a time and then import them to her new computer. However, my wife is a university professor and has literally dozens of groups for classes and research activities. That means dozens of group imports and then the tediousness of resolving duplicates, which will automatically come from importing groups in this manner. I suppose I could do the reverse and import the individual groups first and then the bulk data, perhaps that would allow for less work to eliminate duplicates. I've not been able to save her contacts data to iCloud, even though that setting is active in her preferences. But if I can manage to do that, will that allow the import of her contacts and groups at the same time? Apple support suggests that as a way to manage this transition. Yeah. So Apple support is right. I mean, this is all sort of tied together, but this is an interesting dilemma. Um, while I'm usually a fan of just solve the problem, don't obsess over the cause. Um, with this one, my curiosity is kind of going to get the best of me. So let's, let's explore some of this. Um, I think you've got some configuration problems that might plague this machine down the road. So the big question is where do these problems exist? Are they locally or are they on the cloud? Um, and the reason I ask that is there's two things that concern me. One, is that her calendars and contacts data did not automatically come down from iCloud, regardless of what you attempted with import or migration attempts, right? Um, and then the second sort of follow-up to that is that concerns me is that each of those apps required at least a relaunch to display data 
even after a manual import. So something's not right here. And I would recommend a few tests. Um, They both involve setting up a test user account and one test user account for each of these. Um, And you can and should delete these test users after the fact, but test user accounts can be great in this scenario. So the first thing I would do is, is to create a test user. Do not log it into iCloud and then manually import your calendars and contacts into that account. Right now we're testing this to see if there's something wrong with your data, her data, um, separate from anything that iCloud can do to touch it. So in a test user account without having logged into iCloud, we've removed iCloud from the equation. The second test would be the opposite with another test user fresh set of, you know, fresh, fresh account so that there's no, you know, um, inherited data or anything, log into iCloud, enable calendar and contact syncing and see what it brings down without manually importing or migrating anything. Uh, my gut says that you have an iCloud syncing problem and that's therefore causing local problems. iCloud syncing happens in two steps. Uh, if, if I have this right, The first is that it brings the data from iCloud down to your Mac. And then there's an engine on your Mac that compares that data to what you have on the Mac and, and integrates it, manages, you know, conflicts and all of that stuff. Um, The other thing is to log into iCloud.com and see what data appears there. And you can delete calendar and contact data from there too, which is handy. If you feel like, you know, iCloud screwed up, save a copy of your data locally, delete it from iCloud, re-import locally, and then it, in theory, should sync that data up to iCloud. You, um, the, the way you do it in, in iCloud is um, for contacts, go to iCloud.com, log in, and, and choose contacts. Uh, at the, there's a gear at the bottom left corner of the screen. Choose the gear, choose select all, and then delete. Uh, that, that'll delete all your contacts. You can always restore data from iCloud too. iCloud keeps some backups. Uh, for you online with calendars. It's in a similar spot, but instead of clicking the gear, you click the edit button and then you can delete individual calendars. And obviously when you delete a calendar, it deletes all the data along with it. So that's my, um, that's my thought with this is we got to, I I think you need, you're going to need to isolate iCloud away from this problem. And hopefully you can delete the data from iCloud and then let it repopulate that way. Uh, but it, it seems like there's something wrong with iCloud that's just not letting anything happen locally on the machine. Um, ah, that's my thought. I don't know. What do you think, John? Um, one thing I would do to try to debug this. So in the case of contacts, and the thing is, this is not always the case. One thing you may want to do is to be sure when you open it to go to view and you're going to want to say show groups. That'll help you determine where the heck all the data came from. Mm. The default view is that you won't see the groups. And the thing is, if you don't see the groups, it may you may not know exactly where the data came from. Like, for example, I'm looking right now, and actually I'm a bit surprised. Actually, I'm not now. <laughs> so the thing is, I see a bunch of uh, groups here in my contacts. So I see iCloud. Okay, good. I see on my Mac, which bothers me, oh. but then I realize why that happened. No, I recently created a new account on this machine. The thing is, on my Mac, it shows two entries, me and Apple Inc. Right. I delete those. But the thing is, actually, when I look at the entry for me, it's an icon that, that was created 
when I created a new user account on this machine because I had a meltdown. So that's where those came from. Then I also have, Dave, Facebook and LinkedIn. You can link your contacts to Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and you suggested as much, I think, when you said, you know, look at your internet accounts. Or I think you said that, right? No, I didn't. No, this is oh, good. Okay. You're totally right to, to look here. Yeah, yeah. Internet accounts, especially if you use Migration Assistant, that stuff may have come over. So if you go to System Preferences, Internet Accounts, um, you can contacts can be taken from many different sources. Like I, mes- like I mentioned, I take them from Facebook and LinkedIn. In addition, smart. iCloud. So, so it's smart, but it can be kind of a mess because you may get redundancies and there may be overlaps and stuff like that. Um, the other thing is that at least in contacts... There's something called, um, this is another thing in the view menu. It says, show last import. This will show the last group of data that you imported. That may mm. be something that will further help you understand what the heck's going on here. So that's my advice for contacts. And I've had to wrestle with this in the past. And, and once I, and, and I found this sidebar priceless to, to help me figure out where things were coming from and, and how to clean things up. Yeah. Similar with calendar, you want to be sure, and it's in a similar place here. You're going to want to say show calendar list. And that's also sure. in the view menu. Then on the left, it's going to, it's going to, and, and like in my case, I, I have pretty much the same thing. I have iCloud, Facebook, and other <laughs> um, and everything's color coded for the most part or, yeah. or if, if it's not you want to make sure to color code it so things are unique so you know where what, what source they came from just makes it easier yeah huh yeah, but it can get squirrely the, the thing is I do like um, mention of uh, backing the data up or at least uh, importing well to me it implies that if you did an import at some point you did an export Right, that's, right. that's should, true. Yeah, and that's something you probably should do on occasion. Is uh, I mean, it gets saved as far as I know. If you do a time machine or any full backup, there, yeah. there's a data file kicking around somewhere. But if you want to explicitly save either your calendar or your contact data, you can do. Uh oh, did I lose you, John? I don't think so. Oh, I heard it. I heard a weird little audio artifact. Okay, yeah, it's all good. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, um, I, 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 like I said, my gut says you have an iCloud problem and you're going to need to start, uh, part of the process is going to be flushing iCloud, uh, of its data and hopefully pushing from your Mac back up to iCloud and getting that syncing. Well, it's just, I, I just, uh, iCloud is the thing I, I, we just love to shake our fist at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, I, you know what? I, we're, we've got a little bit of time left here. I want to I want to answer Larry's question. We've actually had this one kicking around for a little while, but um, but it's fun. So here we go. Uh, I say here we go, and then of course I don't have Larry's question queued up, and I don't even know that. Oh, I do have it. Here it is. Let's go. Hi guys, this is Larry. I'm calling from the beautiful state of Michigan and the city of West Bloomfield. I have a quick VPN question for you. I obviously use it when I'm away from home at Starbucks, and I seem to always be at Starbucks. But I've got one of those unlimited VPN packages, and I'm curious if it makes sense to use it at home, if I'm susceptible to anything at home. I live in a uh, condo complex, and there must be six or eight or ten signals that I can see, of course, Um 
they're all locked, just like mine is at home. But I'm just curious if I'm susceptible to anything at home that I would be at a um, at a Starbucks. Uh, that's my only question. Great show. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet, Larry. Um, in a general sense, I, my answer is no. You, you you don't need a VPN when you're at home. You need a VPN when you're somewhere else where it's a network that you don't manage, right? So the, the sort of the rule of thumb is, are there people are, or are there devices on the same network as you that you don't either trust or manage? And if so, then yeah, you should be uh, using a VPN. Now, uh, that which means at home, presumably you either manage or trust all the devices, including your router, and therefore you don't need a VPN. That's mm. my that's my general advice. Now, I'm if ready you're to shake my fist at you, but go, I, I know where you're going. Yeah, you're well, understandably so, right? If if you're if you don't trust your internet provider, um, then, then you might want to use a VPN because you're going to get a tunnel out from from there and and. Uh, and all of that for ge- in a in a general sense, I tend to trust my my internet provider. To I mean, I use Comcast, so uh, they're they're not going to be sniffing through people's data. If they were, it would be a widespread problem, and and they would go south. So, uh, no, I don't use a VPN at home. And and one of the problems if I do log into a VPN is that I lose easy access to whatever other devices are on my local network, right? So if I want to control my disk station or, you know, my Apple TV or any of that stuff, a lot of it just goes away if I'm connected to a VPN while I'm at home. Uh, so no, I, I don't think you need it, but John, I want, I want to hear what you have to say here. So from the point if you're talking a privacy issue, because one of the per- one of the functions of a VPN, yep. uh, although it it's not a requirement, but it almost always happens, is that it's going to scramble or encrypt the data between you and whatever. Sure. So, uh, so that I agree. You don't. It's redundant if you have a secure. If you're using you know a, a encrypted uh, or secure uh, connection to a Wi-Fi base station. The only case I would say where you may want to use a VPN, Dave, is if you want to mask your origin. Oh. Like, say you're doing something, um, I'm trying to think how to word this properly. Well, say um, you're, you're in... Let's say, you have, let's say you have a need to uh, change where you appear to be coming from. Right, which if you're using, like, Netflix, and you want to, if you're traveling, yes. or, you know, if, or even if you're not traveling, we have some overseas listeners, uh, many, many, in fact, I think, uh, that, yes. that choose to use a U.S.-based Netflix account, and so, you know, you use a VPN, and off you go. Right, like I've used, um, and you know, we, we love these guys, um, and, I, and I believe they sponsored us in the past. Uh, Tuttlebear is one product that will do this, where yep. you can say, hey, I'm in the UK. Hey, I'm in this country. I'm in that country. Um, you may also need that functionality if, say, you're connecting to a service that uh, will restrict what you can do based on your IP, and I think I'll leave it at that. Well, that's like, Netflix, oh, right? Yeah. I mean... Um, Okay, there's there's some other services that also say, okay, you've uh, I've seen you do, you know, something, and I'm not going to let you do it again because you're you, vote early, usually, vote often. Well, you, uh, um, yes, 
But no, no like, it's for true. example, you, some services that let you uh, download files um, yep. may restrict how much you can do if... if uh, Got it. Okay. Depending on the situation. I think that's as far as I'll go. Okay. Um, <laughs> with that one. But they're like, nope, you, you've already downloaded your, your allotment. And uh, because I see you're coming from the same place, I'm not going to let you uh, do it again. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. if you use a VPN, now I'm not... You know, this is not good or evil. It's, uh, it's just it's technology. It's a tool. That's right. Yep. Um, no, the reason you may be using it can be good or evil. Correct. Yeah. No. That's that's right. Yeah. So so yeah. It, and and your examples are all very very valid. And I agree that they are reasons to use a VPN at home, and are reasons that I have used a VPN at home. But in a general sense, from from a security standpoint, no is is the is my I general agree. answer. Yes. Yeah. And although you know, Alex in the in the chat room says, look, you know, if you're a whistleblower, sometimes a journalist, you know, or as Furby's points out, if you think the the FBI has reason to have put a tap on your, you know, Comcast connection, well, then by all means, perhaps you might want to be using a VPN. Um, but uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, no, you don't you don't need one in a as a general practice at home. Um, I do know of people that have VPN client software installed and active on their routers so that they can take uh, their, th th their entire home network is tunneled over a VPN for a variety of reasons. And, and that can be an interesting setup. So it's, um, you know, that's just how it works. I don't know. It's, it's fun. So that's why I wanted to answer the question, but John, that does mean that we're at the end. Outstanding. Yeah, I think so. It's a fun show. Hey, I want to thank uh, I, th I want to thank all of our premium listeners. We had quite a few of you uh, in this show. You can find out about that at macgeekab.com slash premium. But uh, but going through the questions that we did answer, Chris, Matthew, Michael, Chuck, and then uh, Larry to wrap up the show. All premium listeners that sent in questions this week. Thank you so much for supporting us directly. I really really appreciate it. John and I both do. And uh, we do answer everyone's questions that comes in, or at least that's our goal. But uh, but you premium folks that can send mail to premium at MacGeekab.com, you, you, uh, you get first dibs on our time, understandably so. How else can they find us, John? Feedback at MacGeekab.com. No, 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 no. You, you can't be serious. Feedback at MacGeekab.com? I'm pretty sure. I'm almost 100% positive I said feedback. At MacGeekGab.com. It's true. That's where you can email us. 224-888-GEEK is where you can call us. And John Geek is? 4335. And you can find our awesome Facebook group. Not only will you find us there, but you'll find all of your, uh, or a good sampling of your listening brethren there. So uh, check that out at MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook is the easiest way to get there. But you can go on Facebook and search for the MacGeekGab group. It's, uh, it's right there. It's great stuff. Really, really appreciative of everybody that, uh, well, I'm appreciative of everybody that does anything to do with the show, but uh, I was going to say appreciative of everybody that participates in our Facebook group. It's a, it's a blast. So thank you. I want to also thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And I want to thank our sponsors, uh, as we mentioned in the show, Power Photos from Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. 
SeatGeek, uh, where code MGG saves you 20 bucks. FreshBooks, where if you visit freshbooks.com slash MGG, you'll get 30 days for free of FreshBooks. Additionally, in the podcast marketplace, Gazelle at gazelle.com. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Fairbones Software at barebones.com. And you, thank you so much for everything you do for us. It rocks. John, I have uh, I have three pieces of advice for for you and everyone. Or maybe they're not three pieces. They're, they're, it's three separate words. So I guess those are pieces. <laughs> but but they they constitute a general um, concept that I think is important, especially as we have this week where there's um, an important holiday tomorrow here in the U.S. and and then just the rest of the week where where we're gonna you know uh, do whatever we do to get everything done. And that advice is, folks. You're going to want to listen to this because this is, this is special. Don't get caught. Made up.